And before uh, Jonathan uh, comes and brings us God's word, we're going to read uh, our passage this morning uh, from Jeremiah uh, chapter 46. If uh, you need a church Bible, do uh, put up your hands and, and John will bring one over. If you do have a church Bible, it's on page 808. And like last week, we're going to read uh, a couple of uh, different segments uh, before Jonathan comes and brings us our final part in Jeremiah. So we're going to start at Jeremiah 46, verses 1 to 10. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the nations, concerning Egypt. This is the message against the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was defeated at Carchemish on the river Euphrates by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Prepare your shields, both large and small, and march out for battle. Harness the horses, mount the steeds, take your positions with helmets on, polish your spears, put on your armor. What do I see? They are terrified. They are retreating. Their warriors are defeated. They flee in haste without looking back, and there is terror on every side, declares the Lord. The swift cannot flee, nor the strong escape. In the north, by the river Euphrates, they stumble and fall. Who is this that rises like the Nile, like rivers of surging waters? Egypt rises like the Nile, like rivers of surging waters. She says, I will rise and cover the earth. I will destroy cities and their people. Charge, you horses. Drive furiously, you charioteers. March on, you warriors, men of Cush and Put, who carry shields, men of Lydia, who draw the bow. But on that day belongs to the Lord, the Lord Almighty, a day of vengeance, for vengeance on his foes. The sword will devour till it is satisfied, till it has quenched its thirst with blood. For the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will offer sacrifice in the land of the north by the river Euphrates. And in Jeremiah 46, 25 to 28. The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, I am about to bring punishment on Ammon, God of Thebes, and Pharaoh on Egypt and her God and her kings, and on those who rely on Pharaoh. I will give them into the hands of those who want to kill them, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his officers. Later, however, Egypt will be inhabited, as in times past, declares the Lord. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security, and no one will make him afraid. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only in due measure. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. And in Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 1 to 10, Jeremiah 50, 1 to 10 on page 814. This is the word the Lord spoke through Jeremiah the prophet concerning Babylon and the lands of the Babylonians. Announce and proclaim among the nations. Lift up a banner and proclaim it. Keep nothing back, but say, 
Babylon will be captured. Bel will be put to shame. Marduk filled with terror. Her images will be put to shame and her idols filled with terror. A nation from the north will attack her and lay waste her land. No one will live in it. Both people and animals will flee away. In those days, at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces towards it. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. They wandered over mountain and hill and forgot their own resting place. Whoever found them devoured them. Their enemies said, we are not guilty. For they sinned against the Lord, their verdant pastor, the Lord, the hope of their ancestors. Flee out of Babylon, leave, and la- leave the land of the Babylonians, and be like the goats that lead the flock. For I will stir up and bring against Babylon an alliance of great nations from the lands of the north. They will take up their positions against her, and from the north she will be captured Their arrows will be like skilled warriors who do not return empty-handed. So Babylonia will be plundered. All who plunder her will have their fill, declares the Lord. And finally, Jeremiah chapter 52, verses 31 to 34. One courier follows another. And messenger follows messenger to announce to the king of Babylon that his entire city is captured, the river crossings seized, the marshes set on fire, and the soldiers terrified. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Daughter Babylon is like a threshing floor. At the time it is trampled, the time to harvest her will will soon come. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured us. He has thrown us into confusion. He has made us an empty jar. Like a serpent, he has swallowed us and filled his stomach with our delicacies and then has spewed us out. I want to invite Jonathan to come and explain that to us. (laughs) Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to have you with us, Jonathan. And just before you uh, you do come and uh, before I pray... um, no, I mentioned you're from the Baptist Church. I probably said all there is, probably in, in terms of introductions. But if you'd like to just introduce yourself, tell us a bit about yourself. Just firstly, just, that was chapter 52. Yeah. We should have read. Oh, have I got things wrong? We're all looking in chapter 52, and it was chapter 51, but never mind. That's why it was confusing. Just so you all understand. There we go. <laughs> Maybe I'll I typed it wrong in my email. Anyway, thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much for uh, having me back again. It's great to be with you. I think I, I know quite a few here. We only met, didn't we, a, a month or so ago when, when we had our kind of joint service together. Is this kind of on right, by the way? Slightly sure. awkward. Yes, I think we can all hear you. <laughs> Good. And uh, yeah, so obviously we studied together, didn't we, uh, at Cornhill uh, over the last, well not in the last couple of years now, it's been a year since that ended. Uh, so I think we've got a, a strong relationship as individuals and as churches as well. So uh, it's great that we can uh, mix a bit like this. It was good to have Phil with us. Uh, I think three or four weeks ago, he came down uh, and preached for us on a Sunday morning. So thank you for letting him out. 
What else do you want to know? Brilliant. And, and, and you had a big bash, right, a celebrating bash. a similar birthday to us. Yes. And how did that go? Well, I've got a quite a big birthday this year as well. Oh. But uh, this was 125th anniversary, as it is for you guys, of course, as a church. So odd, really, isn't it? We both started churches in Caterham in 1894. I don't know what they were thinking at the time. But uh, we are blessed to, to have uh, had 125 years of God's goodness, uh, as are you, and as is, we trust this community, uh, having had God's word uh, preached and proclaimed to us faithfully over that time. And we, we wanted to, to celebrate it, uh, just uh, I guess as you are. Uh, we wanted to kind of do something out in the community uh, as well. So we decided to uh, negotiate with the council to see if we could use Timber Hill Park, and we, we got it in the end. Uh, that's the park down in the valley next to the police station, so kind of very close to the centre of the town down that way. And it was last Saturday, the, the, the 13th. Uh, we, we had it for the day, and we, we had some, some live music. We put up some bouncy castles. We had craft and refreshments, and, and it was all free, and we had a lovely day. And, and we must have had hundreds, I think, of people come along that, that we've never come across. So we, we've advertised it reasonably broadly. I, I hope you may have come across uh, the adverts as well, and, and it was great to see some of you come and join us uh, as well. We, we had these bags, I think of which Dan has got one as well, uh, that were just sort of free bags with, with the church kind of advertised on them, and we had 300 of them printed, and uh, on the day, 200 we gave away to kind of families, individuals, uh, couples, and um, I, I, just trying to add that up, I, I think on average we probably gave one, well, certainly one to every kind of household, and um, as I say, 200 went. So we reckon we probably came across about 500 people uh, that, that we'd, we've never had sort of contact with before. So it's real, really encouraging. I mean, the, the purpose, of course, was not so much to sort of proclaim the gospel on the day, but rather just to live in the community and show that we are hopefully reasonably normal people. Uh, and, and try and just get to know people, build up a little trust, and make it easier perhaps to invite people to things mm. uh, and to, to share the gospel naturally uh, with those that are around us. So uh, hopefully our profile as a church and, and as the Christian church together uh, was raised during that time, and we're just praying now, I guess, for fruit uh, from that uh, for the gospel's sake. Brilliant. Was that too much, Dan? That was perfect. We're all very, no, it's great. And I'm just going to quickly read the passage I was meant to read at the end, which is Jeremiah 32, 31 to 34, which says, In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the year of Awel Marduk, became king of Babylon. On the 12th, uh, 25th day of the 12th month, he released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and freed him from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king of Babylon gave Jehoiakim a regular allowance as long as he lived to the day of his death. Jonathan, let me pray for you before you speak. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jonathan and for his preparation for what you've laid on his heart. We thank you for the people that he met at that big bash last weekend. We pray for fruit from that. Father, we pray you richly bless our brothers and sisters in Catron Baptist Church this morning. You'd be with them. But Father, we ask that this morning you would leave us. You would leave us walking out of here loving you more than when we first came in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jonathan.
Well, I'm pleased to hear that Phil uh, and the family are having a, a well-earned break uh, for the next week or so. I don't know if you've looked at the forecast, but it looks fairly promising for uh, the next few days. Now, unfortunately, of course, it's not always that good. Uh, I'm sure some of you have got your own kind of experiences of holidays in Devon. The summer of 2003 is the one that particularly stri- strikes me or, or comes to my uh, memory. We were there in July of that year, and I think without any exaggeration, I don't think we saw even a glimmer of sunshine during that week. It was, it was cold, it was wet, it was pretty windy uh, most of that week. But I remember the abiding memory, I suppose, is on the way home, uh, traveling along the M4, looking in the rearview mirror and seeing the sun begin to emerge in the background. And I don't know if you remember 2003, but it turned out to be one of the hottest summers we've ever had. I think the record temperature uh, was recorded during August of that year. Now, now, reading Jeremiah this last week has somehow kind of reminded me of that week. Now, you've been studying, of course, uh, this part of the Bible for several weeks now. And I think it's fair to say that some of the message is pretty bleak. I mean, I, I listened to Phil's sermon from last Sunday morning. Uh, I think you were covering chapters 37 through to uh, 44. Uh, and it's all really quite dark stuff. I mean, the sermon was brilliant, of course. Uh, and it's so challenging, but so challenging to the church today. Well, Jeremiah was faithfully telling God's message. But unfortunately, nobody was listening. They're all far too kind of absorbed in their, their, their own lives, their own selfishness, to, to really care at all about what God wanted. The king himself, Zedekiah, as you read, kept asking Jeremiah time and time again what God was saying. And it kind of seemed quite positive. But, of course, once he heard God's instructions, they weren't what he wanted to hear. And he completely ignored them. So God rightly proclaimed judgment on his disobedient people. And, and I, I'm sure you've come to appreciate, certainly through uh, this, this series, that you simply cannot ignore God's word and expect to get away with it. Well, as we come towards the end of uh, Jeremiah this morning, there's more of the same. This time, though, God is dealing with not so much Israel, but the countries around, the neighboring countries. But it's still pretty bleak reading. You should have a go at reading through these chapters. We've uh, saved you a bit of that by just reading a a few portions this morning. I've read it a couple of times in this last week, and it takes nearly an hour each time to read chapters 47 through to 52. And most of it is warning of the terrible consequences of defying God. But it's not all gloom. Within this final section of Jeremiah, there are rays of sunshine. There are glimmers of hope. There is this promise of a bright future. So so the message from these last few chapters in Jeremiah is this. A God-defying world will be utterly destroyed but the Lord Almighty will restore his exiled people. Jeremiah was God's messenger at a time when God's people completely abandoned 
God's word. Now, if you've been here at all in the last few weeks, you, you can't have missed that message. In the final years before God's incredible patience finally runs out with Israel. And, and you kind of think of all the things that God had done for Israel over the year. You look back a bit and you see the way he'd rescued them from slavery in Egypt, the way he brought them safely into this promised land, the way he'd, he'd given them safety, he'd given them security through great kings such as David and, and, and Solomon, the way he'd stood by them, providing them with everything they had needed. God is faithful, but his people were faithless. They, they kind of took all the good stuff that God so generously poured down uh, upon them, so lavished upon them, but they wanted nothing to do with the one who had been so generous. Of course, God could have uh, destroyed them in an instant, but he didn't do that. He, he sent messenger after messenger after messenger. All of the prophets, you, you can read them before and after Jeremiah in your Bibles. And he sent them to warn that this behavior simply couldn't continue. And that there would be terrifying consequences if they didn't turn back. But at the same time, throughout these prophets, there was this wonderful promise of restoration for everyone who came back to God. Well, Jeremiah was one of these messengers. He understood his mission. And he faithfully preached these loving warnings for 42 years. Can you imagine that? He, he warned, he wept, he prayed over those that he was speaking to, but they would not listen. They, they tried to silence him. They, they beat him up. They threw him into a pit. We read that last week. They uh, imprisoned him. They ne nearly starved him to death. But Jeremiah carried on. For him, life was about faithfulness to God's word. It was never about popularity with this world. Now, much of Jeremiah's messenger, messages, of course, was to the people of Israel, the nation that God had chosen to love and to bless. But his message wasn't just to Israel. Look back, would you, at the start of the book of Jeremiah, before we come back to these chapters uh, in a few moments. Chapter 1 of Jeremiah and verse 4. I understand you've got new Bibles this week. I have no idea what your page number is. Can anyone just give us that? Chapter 1 of Jeremiah. 756. Thank you. I'm sure they all had it already anyway, but that's great. Thank you. Verse 4, Jeremiah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you, he says, as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was a, a prophet, a messenger to the nations, to the whole world. And in this last uh, section... The message is entirely or almost entirely addressing nations other than Israel. And this message, as I said, is a, is a tough one. This God-defying world will be utterly destroyed. Now, when I got the email from your lovely office staff a few weeks ago informing me of this passage that I was to preach, my initial reaction, I'm afraid, was, really? 
Isn't there some other message I could, I could, I could bring? I didn't say that, by the way. Uh, I'm very compliant. I do as I'm told. We're not told exactly how Jeremiah felt when he was asked to preach this message, but God gave him some very clear uh, instructions. If you've still got chapter 1 open uh, with you, please do look down at verse uh, 17. This is God's message to Jeremiah. He says, get yourself ready, stand up, and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. So I'm trying not to be too scared. And I'm really not comparing myself to Jeremiah. But speaking of God's anger, speaking of God's vengeance, speaking of God's judgment, some of you will know it's just not very easy. Anyway, let's dive in. Do turn first then back to chapter uh, 46. And we'll have a quick skim uh, to get a feel for what's going on in these Chapters, verse 40, uh, chapter 46, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the nations, concerning Egypt. So the first chapter is about Egypt. And then to chapter 47, just over the page or two. Verse 1. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh attacked Gaza. So this is uh, the country of the Philistines, neighboring Israel. And then chapter 48, verse 1, this is the last one I'll uh, ask you to look up, concerning Moab. And so it it kind of goes on. If you uh, look through chapter uh, 49, uh, there's uh, Ammon, Edom, Kedar, Hazor, and Elam. So you've got kind of uh, Philistia on the, uh, the west of Israel. You've got Egypt down to the south. Edom is south as well. You've got, uh, I'm probably putting my arms in the wrong directions from your point of view, uh, but never mind. Towards the east, you've got these other nations. And then, of course, chapter 50 and 51 talks about Babylon, which was further east, but they attacked from the north. They were the great superpower at the time. So these chapters are addressing all of these neighboring countries. It's addressing every known country in the world. So if Jeremiah happened to be speaking today, he would be talking to us in Britain. He'd be talking to you in, in France, in America, in, in Russia, in China, to India, to every group of people on the planet. This message is for everyone. Now, Christian missionaries are are often told that they, they, they shouldn't go into other countries, particularly countries that have got perhaps their own uh, faith. They're, they're told sometimes they should just mind their own business. Muslims have got their own uh, religion. Hindus have got theirs. Buddhists have got theirs, of course. What right do Christians have to go into these uh, other places and kind of upset things? Why don't we just leave them to get on with it? Well, these chapters give us an answer to that. The Lord Almighty, this God of Israel, he is the creator of the whole world. He's the creator of the whole world, the whole universe. He is the God, of course, who sent Jesus to bring hope and salvation to the whole world. Nothing, of course, is outside of God's authority, therefore. And he's got every right to demand that everyone 
No matter what their religion, no matter what their background, he's got a a right to demand that everyone recognizes him, recognizes his son, and submits to him. But of course, that wasn't happening. Now, I, I, I can't imagine what it would feel like if one of my children rejected me as their father. Maybe you have experienced something like this. Imagine that they had nothing to do with me. They put something or somebody else in my place. Some, they were perhaps doing things that they knew would bring shame on the family. They knew I would be displeased about. And not just doing them, but doing them publicly with absolutely no shame. And then, of course, just basically sticking two fingers up at me whenever I asked them to come back. Can you imagine how that would feel? Well, that is what the nations had done at the time of Jeremiah. They didn't just reject God. They were defiant in their rejection. I just want to look at a couple of passages. Chapter 48, verse 26, one example. This is Moab. Make her drunk, for she has defied the Lord. Let Moab wallow in her vomit. Let her be an object of ridicule. She has defied the Lord. And then chapter 50, verse 29. Summon archers against Babylon, all those who draw the bow. Encamp all around her, let no one escape. Repay her for her deeds. Do to her what she, as she has done, for she has defied the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Now, these chapters don't give us a lot of detail about exactly what they were doing wrong, but they do give us a few broad indicators. So, uh, chapter 48, verse 29, for example, they were arrogant, they were proud. Let me read chapter, uh, verse 29. We have heard of Moab's pride. How great is her arrogance of her insolence, her pride, her conceit, and the haughtiness of her heart. Some of these people, uh, others were, were attacking God's people. So this is particularly for the Babylonians, chapter 50, verse 11. Because you rejoice and are glad, you who pledge my inheritance. God's talking about his own people there and the way that the Babylonians are attacking, pillaging his own inheritance. Because you frolic like a heifer, fresh in corn and neigh like stallions, your mother will be greatly ashamed. She who gave you birth will be disgraced. And then there are other references to the brutality of these nations. There are references to their false prophets. There are references to their idolatry. There are references to their drunkenness and to their sexual immorality. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we we assume that if there is a God up there, that he's not that bothered 
about how we live. He's not that bothered, really, about how we treat him. I mean, why do we assume that? I think it's because he doesn't immediately zap us when we do something wrong. We forget, of course, that the reason he doesn't deal with us immediately, just as we deserve, is only because of his mercy. It is only because he is incredibly patient. It is what the Bible calls uh, God's long-suffering. But, of course, that doesn't mean that he's not angry. We should never assume that because somehow we seem to get away with stuff, that, it's, that, that, that God will not judge, that he not, will not bring justice. And if this passage tells us nothing else, it tells us that certainly God will judge. God will judge. So please don't misunderstand this. Don't presume on God's mercy. Look at his word. Chapter 46, verse 10, in the part that we read uh, together earlier. But that day... This is the day of judgment that's been described here. Belongs to the Lord. The Lord Almighty. A day of vengeance. We don't like to use that word. Vengeance. For vengeance on his foes. And then chapter 50, verses 14 and 15. Take up your positions around Babylon, you who draw the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Shout against her on every side. She surrenders, her towers fall, her walls are torn down, since this is the the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her, do to her as she has done to others." And there are many other references here to God's rightful vengeance and anger. And of course, the resulting pain, the agony, is absolutely awful. If you were to to read through these chapters four times, it compares the pain, the agony, to that of a woman in labor. Now, I'm not going to try and describe uh, what that must be like, but I'm sure it is agony. There are loads of other references to the sword, to blood, to desolation, to a complete, utter destruction. Now, God's word is not to be taken lightly. Because like it or not, and actually, we don't have a choice in this matter. The Lord Almighty is a vengeful God. The reputation of his name is at stake here. He doesn't suffer fools lightly. We should fear him. We should fear him. Now, I know perhaps many of us will react to that and say, well, didn't Jesus suffer God's anger at sin when he died on the cross? Didn't he take our punishment so that we could be forgiven? Isn't the Christian faith supposed to be about God's love, not his anger? And of course, all of that is is absolutely true. Uh, We we can read of all the terrible destruction in these chapters and say, wow, Jesus suffered all of that for me so that we don't have to. Jesus drank the whole cup, as it's described in these chapters, of God's awful vengeance so that you and I can be reconciled to the Lord. 
These chapters frequently talk about the need to flee from God's anger. And there is only one place, of course, that we can flee to hide in the precious love of Jesus who shed his blood for us, as we've remembered this morning. And, of course, all of that is absolutely true and it is totally amazing. But if we're Christians here this morning, we must remember that these words were written for God's people. That they may be about the other nations. They describe the situation for the other nations, for Egypt, for Moab, for Babylon, for Edom, or or, or whatever. But they're written for believers. So I want to ask this morning, how, how do we react when we hear that God will one day destroy the whole earth? Because the, the final fulfillment of this, ju- this judgment, by the way, has not yet happened. It's been partially fulfilled in that the countries of Moab and Ammon and, and, and Babylon, for example, they, they were utterly destroyed long ago, just as Jeremiah had said. But the Bible says that the ultimate destruction of these God-defying nations will happen only when the Lord Jesus returns in final judgment. How do we react? How do you react when you know that God will one day destroy the whole earth? When you see, when you read in these passages here of the awful agony, the pain, the eternal destruction that's in store for everyone who defies God. Don't you feel something for these people who are heading for hell? Don't you feel uh, just a little bit concerned? Jesus did. He he mourned. He wept over Jerusalem. In uh, Luke 13, we read, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Do we have the same love, the same care, the same compassion for those who are lost? How can we kind of stand by whilst people are heading for an eternity without God? At the very least, it should lead us to prayer. The love that Jesus has shown to us, should, it should compel us to, to want to share that same love with those out there who are otherwise facing God's eternal judgment. So read through in your own time, Jeremiah 47 to 52, and, and weep over those you know who have not yet submitted to Jesus. Maybe you want to think about them right now. For a moment, your, your, your neighbours, your, your work colleagues, your uh, friends at school, maybe brothers and sisters, people in your own families. Because it will happen. God's uh, God-defying world will be utterly destroyed. Well, we spent a bit of time on that because it's such an important thing to get into our heads But let's move on to the second point. God will restore his exiled people. Now, Jeremiah's life was really, really hard, as you have read. Serving God meant delivering this really tough message that very few people wanted to hear. 
And if we are going to be faithful servants to God, it is going to be hard for us uh, as well. But the world that we live in does not want to hear God's word any more today than it did when Jeremiah was proclaiming it. Increasingly, our society encourages us, of course, to, to, to live for ourselves, to, to get the best stuff that money can buy, to, to go on the best holidays that we can have, to satisfy ourselves uh, sexually whenever and with whoever we want to, to avoid committing ourselves to anything in case it interferes what, what we, with what we want to do. And into such a society, there is an amazing opportunity for Christians to live the kind of distinctive lives that would please God. Such an opportunity for us to do that. And yet so often, we end up behaving in much the same way. Now, I don't doubt that Jeremiah must have faced the same temptations, the same kind of opportunities to ignore God uh, as we do. But of course, Jeremiah resisted those temptations and he suffered daily, probably throughout most of those, all of those 42 years. He suffered for serving God. Now, I want you to think about Jeremiah now. He, he died, of course, and he would have been welcomed into God's presence. Well done, he would have heard, good and faithful servant. That is what the Lord would have said to him. Jeremiah knew that he was an exile in a foreign land. But he knew that he didn't belong there. He knew that he wasn't going to be there for too long. And he trusted this promise that God would restore his exiled people. So however bleak things were, however foreboding were God's warnings, there were still glimmers of light promising glorious sunshine to come. We're going to look at just two or three of those uh, examples. Chapter 46, right at uh, the end. We, we read these verses together. 46, verse 28. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security, and no one will make him, he's talking about the country of Israel, of course, God's chosen people, no one will make him uh, afraid. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only in due measure. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. God's people will not be completely destroyed. Chapter 50, verses 4 and 5. In those days, at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces towards it. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. Much of the final chapter, chapter uh, 52, uh, repeats uh, a lot of what was said in chapter uh, 39 that you looked at last week. But it's here again 
to remind us that God keeps his promises. He said Israel would be overthrown by the Babylonians, and by the time you get to chapter 52, it had been. It was. He said they would be taken into, into exile, and, and they were. So we can expect God's other promises to be kept too. And if those promises were glimmers of light, just glimmers of light in the book of Jeremiah, the sun really begins to emerge in these last few verses. Verse 31 of chapter uh, 52. Right at the end of Jeremiah's message. Although, actually, by this point, it's not Jeremiah who, who's writing this. Uh, just, just slip back to the end of uh, chapter 51. It said, the words of Jeremiah end here. So the book of Jeremiah was compiled by, by somebody else, reflecting and pulling together a lot of Jeremiah's writings and adding this bit at the end. And it says, verse 31 of chapter 52, in the 37th year of the exile, the king of Judah was released from prison. Just look down the passage a little. He was treated, it says, with honor and ate at the king's table. Let me read verse 34. Day by day, the king of Babylon gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived. 37 years, this is, after the overthrow of Israel until the day of his death. Things were finally beginning to look up. Jeremiah had been in glory, or has been in glory now, for two and a half thousand years. Now I doubt that he regrets standing up for God in the face of threats and violence and intolerance. I I doubt somehow that he's sitting up there now thinking, was it really worth all that trouble? Nobody, nobody who suffers for the sake of the Lord will ever regret it. So the call for, for each of us here, if we're Christian believers this morning, is to do the same. It's to resist the temptation to live basically like everybody else does out there. It's to resist the temptation to keep our kind of heads down below the parapet when we should be sharing God's loving message, God's loving warnings. We should be those who are listening uh, to God's word. We should be those who see and are terrified by what happens to those who defy God's word. Look finally at chapter 50, verse uh, 33 with me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people of Israel are oppressed, and the people of Judah as well. All their captors hold them fast, refusing to let them go. Yet their Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. Now maybe this morning, you are still defying God. If you haven't yet committed your life to the Lord Jesus, you are effectively trying to stand against 
this living God. Perhaps you're reading this passage now and and seeing some of the terrible things that are going to happen. Perhaps you're thinking it's all over. It's completely hopeless. Well, it's not all over. You're in a terrible, a dangerous situation, but it's not all over. There is still hope. Every one of the nations at the time of Jeremiah was facing certain destruction. Let's very quickly have a, have a look at what it says about each one of these. Chapter 46, verse uh, 28. Sorry, 46, verse 26. I will give them into the hands of those who want to kill them. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his officers. Later, however, Egypt will be inhabited, as in times past. There's a little bit of hope there, declares the Lord. Chapter 48, verse 47. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the days to come, declares the Lord. 49, verse 6. Yet afterwards, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. And then chapter 49, verse 39. I will restore the fortunes of Elam in the days to come, declares the Lord. Even from utter destruction, there is this promise of restoration. Where there's life, there there is hope. Charles Spurgeon uh, is a name that some of you will recognize. He was 15 when he realized that he was heading for an eternity without God in a place called hell. And as he walked one morning into a Methodist uh, church building, his mind was full of darkness. It was full of despair over his own personal situation. Now that morning, the message was from the prophet Isaiah. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah's. And, and, and the text was, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Isaiah forty-five twenty-two. Now the preacher that morning looked, there weren't many I don't think in the congregation, but he looked directly at Spurgeon and said to him, young man, you look very miserable. And he said, you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey this text. But if you obey now, this moment... You will be saved. He looked at him and said, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. And this is what Spurgeon wrote later about that day. He said, There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness was rolled away. And at that moment I saw the sun. Now for the rest of his life, Spurgeon uh, preached the gospel. He lived for the Lord. From that moment, he warned people of the madness of defying God. And of course, like Jeremiah, he pointed them towards the perfect restoration that God promises to all the exiles. So the question I want to leave us with for me as well as to you is, we're not going to be exactly like Spurgeon, but will you and I be among those who equally live our lives for the Lord and for the proclamation of his word. I want just to pause for a moment, uh, perhaps personally uh, reflect and pray about maybe what God has said through Jeremiah uh, this morning 
thinking about perhaps over the whole series, these last few weeks. In a moment, I'll introduce our final song, but let's pray quietly in our minds.